0: The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Wheat Kings and the W.H.L. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Brandon Jr. Hockey fans, you've waited two decades for this. In the league's 50th anniversary, your Wheat Kings are the champions.
1: Well, a good day once again, everyone listening. Welcome to the Weekly Harvest Podcast. My name is Chris Falco, Director of Game Day Operations, Community Relations, and uh, the in-arena voice of the Weekings. Joined, especially not in-studio this week, but because the guys are on the road, and we can't do this without Brandon Crow, so we got Brandon linked up from a hotel room in Red Deer. Crow, can you hear me?
0: I certainly can. We're at the Black Knight Mm -hmm. Inn, a beautiful spot here. The team has stayed here for a number of years, Uh, just settled in after a long bus trip overnight and uh, getting myself geared up for lunch.
1: Let me guess, Black Knight Inn, it's got to be the $10 steak
0: sandwich. 100%. There is a plethora of steak sandwiches awaiting upon our completion of this episode of the podcast.
1: Yeah, if you're ever in Red Deer, Black Knight Inn, probably one of the best lunches there. Uh, well, Brandon, it was an amazing you know, little stretch for the Weekings. Uh, that win streak was a lot of fun. Still get to continue a, a bit of a streak in terms of uh, you know points now in 11 straight. But going back to the weekend, what was your overall feelings of how the games went Friday and Saturday?
0: Well, I thought Friday night against Victoria was was a game that, you know, maybe Brandon didn't necessarily deserve to win, but they got the job done. I mean, a lot of times a coach or or anybody will say you need to play 60 minutes to win a game. Brandon was lucky to maybe play 35 (laughs) minutes on Friday night, but they got timely goals. They had an early lead, and they got some big saves from Yuri Patera, and sometimes – In order to be good, you got to be lucky. And in order to be lucky, you got to be good. And, you know, Brandon was able to come away with the victory that night. And I think a lot of people left the building pleasantly surprised considering how well Victoria had played up until that point. I think Saturday night was a tough pill to swallow for a lot of Weeking fans. And for me, I could feel it. I I could just feel it when Brandon got up to the early lead and then had the 4-1 lead. I thought, this is not safe right now. I have just seen Lethbridge score so many goals and mount so many comebacks against the Brandon Weekings in the last four years. I had absolutely zero confidence that that game was going to end at 4-1. I knew it would be in for a, a wild finish. Unfortunately, Brandon got hemmed in their own end in overtime and gave up the, the game winner to Dylan Cousins. But at the end of the day, you, know, the, you knew the streak wasn't going to go forever. Uh, they were going to have to lose at some point. But to me, that was an entertaining hockey game. Uh, I know I talked to a lot of people after that said that was a, a real fun game to be a part of. It had a little bit of everything. It had some chippiness. It had some nice goals. had some big saves. Course, the three on three overtime, which everyone loves, and um, you know, there was a lot of talented players on the ice. So, at the end of the day, you shake it off, you realize you still got a point, which is extremely valuable, and you know, you got to go back to work in a hurry because you got four tough opponents here this week. So, I think at the end of the day, if you look back and told uh, you know, Dave Lowry and Don McGovery and Mark Lego they'd have points uh, in uh, 13 of their last 15 games coming out of uh, you know, December 10th, I think they'd be awfully happy. And uh, you know, despite how they lost on Saturday. Uh, at the end of the day, they got points. And when you're this late in the season and you're fighting for a, a top spot in the division, that's all that matters. Well,
1: and they've always said, and it's kind of true, one of the most uh, difficult leads in hockey to keep for some reason is that 3 nothing lead. And that's exactly what happened there. And you know, if you're going to end the streak, let, let, let's face it, if it's going to happen have it happen in overtime and to a player who just won a gold medal for team Canada. I mean, there's, there's, you know, a a lot of justification of, of at least, you know, it wasn't like a bad, a bad loss. It wasn't like a five, nothing loss on home ice. It was still a really competitive game and still got that very important point, especially considering that Winnipeg just keeps winning as well.
0: Yeah, that to me, the single point you cannot um, take that lightly, Uh, you know, Winnipeg for whatever reason, they just can't stop winning right now. The Raiders keep collecting points as well. And, Uh, As of right now here, we're recording this on Monday, Winnipeg uh, in, you know, first spot in that East division with 59 points. Uh, They've played 46 games. The Raiders, two points back of them, they've played one more at 47. And then Brandon in that third spot, uh, they've played 46 games with 54 points. So, you know, getting that single point, you know, helps Brandon stay within, you know, striking distance of Prince Albert and, and keeps them on the same plane as Winnipeg and Uh, You can't shake a stick at the fact that Brandon has really made themselves uh, noticeable here. You look back before the streak, Brandon hadn't won more than two games in a row twice this season. And they were two games below 500. And all of a sudden, here you go, you're 25, and two. And there's people legitimately talking about Brandon winning a division. So, I mean, the, the change in mindset, the change in conversation from, I, I don't know, three weeks ago till now is, has been unbelievable. And, um, it's it's going to just get that much tougher here down the stretch because we're running out of hockey games and the playoffs are closing in awfully quickly.
1: Right now, we're going to hear some post game uh, comments from head coach Dave Lowry following Saturday's loss versus the Lethbridge Hurricanes.
2: I thought it was a hard fought game. Uh, once again, I really liked our start. I liked the energy. I liked our preparation, and I liked our execution in the first 20 minutes. We got away from it, but you know what? We have to as a group. We have to understand that when you do get a lead, the team that's going that you're playing they're probably going to make some adjustments they're probably going to come out we talked about it last night where the first five minutes of that uh, next period is is real important and once again we weren't as good as we're going to need to be moving forward but it is uh, you know this is all about learning and, and taking these lessons and and uh, making sure that as we mature as a group
0: third period you fall behind but uh, you had to be happy you battle back get the uh, tying goal i thought you finished uh, pretty strongly
2: I like the way we play. You know, it's, uh, there's there's no quit in the group, and you, you don't like losing the game. You don't like losing the way that we lost a hockey game. But when we did get down, our guys dug in and and uh, stayed with what we wanted to do.
0: Test tonight, and a test coming up this week with uh, a big road trip to uh, Alberta.
2: Yeah, and we've talked about it. Right, our next ten games, nine nine of the ten are against uh, teams right now that are in a playoff position, and. And we looked at the week, and, and Victoria, we knew was going to be a heavy game. Lethbridge, we haven't beat. As you know, we've been outscored 10-4 against those guys. Now you go into Edmonton, last time we played them, we beat them in their building. We were up four and had to win in a, win in a shootout. We go the next night against uh, Red Deer, and, and they're going to be tough. Red Deer plays, and they play very hard in, in their building. And, and uh, we expect a hard game. And then you go in, you go into Calgary. We've just had, we saw Calgary here last week big heavy physical team and then you get medicine Hat, who we've seen and and you know that they're going to be ready as well so for us it's a real good challenge
1: you kind of said it all right there this is a massive road trip coming up through alberta a uh, lot a lot, lot, lot of tough uh, games in the next few weeks here
0: if you look at the central division right now where this this road trip will start in edmonton tomorrow night or whenever you're listening to this, it'll be Tuesday night, I guess, for those of you that might be listening to this a little later on in the week, but you know, Edmonton right now, 73 points. They're only two back of the hottest team in the Western Hockey League in the Portland Winterhawks uh, who have 75 points and the Winterhawks uh, have won 17 of their last 18 games and 19 of their last 21. So it shows you the, the, the skill and, and the depth of the Edmonton Oil Kings to, to completely roll through that central division right now. Uh, they've got a huge lead on Lethbridge and, and I was talking to Dustin Forbes, the voice of the hurricanes about the possibility of the hurricanes catching Edmonton for that top spot. And he said, despite them playing their best hockey, they just can't seem to get any traction on Edmonton to try and catch them for that uh, top spot. And, and then you look at it and you think, Oh, medicine hat, they're in the third spot, Calgary, they're in the fourth spot, both of them. If you took Calgary and you move them into the East division, they're one point ahead of Brandon, considering the fact that they're fourth in the central division. So, this test is is for me a, a much bigger test than how many games in a row can the Brandon Wheat Kings win because as Perry and I talked about and, and along with Pete in the broadcast of that 10 game winning streak there were a lot of games against teams below them in the standings you got Regina twice Moose Jaw Red Deer Prince George Calgary Moose Jaw again so yeah sure the team won 10 in a row and, and that you know really put them in a great spot but how competitive were their opponents and I think now that, you know, you look at the schedule and like Dave said, I think he said nine of the next 10 are against teams that are in a playoff spot right now. To me, this is your measuring stick. This is where you decide what kind of team the Brandon Week Kings are, because a lot of people have asked me, you know, they win 10 in a row here, but you go back and they'd only won multiple games twice in the first, uh, you know, three months of the season up till December 17th. So what is it? Are there, is this team, you know, a winner? Is this team a contender or is this team just a team that got hot at the right time? And I think that, if you were to, you know, by the time we record next week's podcast, we'll have a better answer of what kind of team Brandon is. Because right now, uh, they've got their hands full this week, and it'll be really interesting to see how they respond.
1: So speaking of recording the podcast, so it was last week that we were getting all set. To, i got to tell the story really quick, because our, our guest this week is the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, Kelly McCrimmon, owner, president of the Weekings. Now, this interview came by complete fluke we were getting set up we were going to have Connor gutenberg on the podcast uh you know a five-year veteran approaching his 300th game Uh, i thought we would have some good conversation there so as we're setting up for the podcast uh, kelly mccrimmon walks in on the all-star break and we didn't know he's even going to be in that morning and i just made the joke hey crim we're we're all set up for you we can go and record and he said yeah i would i would do that so me and me and crow look at each other we're like okay well I guess that's our new guest. So we Bye, had Rudy. no time to prepare for this interview. Uh, the questions as you're going to hear, they're kind of all over the place, but we're we're not going to say no, right? So, I mean, we we did this 40-minute sit-down interview with uh, Kelly McCrimmon, and uh, hopefully later on, maybe after the season is over, we can actually uh, prepare and get him back in where we can have some more focused questions. But uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to Kelly last week, hey, Crow?
0: It was kind of uh, two squirrels running around grabbing shiny objects. That's the way I describe our question tactics (laughs) during this interview. But at the end of the day, you're right. We weren't going to turn it down. He offered. uh, He was extremely gracious, uh, You know, gave us pretty much an hour of his time, and uh, really looking forward to it. And uh, hopefully the fans uh, can enjoy this one.
1: So here you go. With all of three, four minutes to prepare, it's myself and Brandon Crowe sitting down with Vegas GM Kelly McCrimmon. Well, here we are back in the Wee King office. joined at the weekly harvest by the owner of the team, the president of the team, and a guy who's very busy. I'm uh, glad we can get him on here,
3: Mr. Kelly McCrimmon. Kelly, how are you? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: It is the uh, kind of all-star break slash bye week for your hockey club, and, and now most guys head out on a trip. They go to the, you know, Bahamas, Mexico, Hawaii. But you come back to Brandon. What's on your agenda here, <laughs> uh, dealing with the Brandon Wee Kings this week? Or are you turning the Vegas, you know, watch off? What, what's your plan here this week?
3: Well, a bit of uh, a bit of all of those things. It's interesting. I uh, said jokingly, uh, our team finished in uh, Boston uh, last, uh, or just on Tuesday, and I said uh, uh, just kidding that there wouldn't be a lot of people in the NHL going to Brandon, Manitoba, for their bye week. <laughs> and I flew home with uh, uh, Ryan uh, Pulock and Travis Sanheim. So there's at least three of us. And uh, I understand Mike Ferland was uh, through here. Uh, last week. So uh, uh, good on those people. Home is uh, is still Brandon and they're uh, grad- glad to get back, as am
0: I. You look at the, the, you know, the change in role for you, and that's kind of where I want to start this. Going from the assistant GM to the GM in Vegas with the official switchover back in September, from a to-do list perspective and a list of tasks, what changed from your original <laughs> role with Vegas to now your new role as general manager? Was it a lot of change?
3: Uh, Not as much as you'd think, and uh, that would be a function probably of how much responsibility uh, that George McPhee has given me right from the outset. And it was interesting, uh, our first year, just in terms of the work that we had to do when we, um, you know, Seattle now, for example, uh, have had a team, you know, one full year ahead of what we did. So when you look back to, uh, I guess it was 2016, it wasn't until Uh, late June that uh, Bill Foley and the city of Las Vegas were uh, awarded an expansion uh, franchise. George McPhee was hired around the 9th or 10th of uh, July. I was hired towards the end of that month and uh, we selected our team that following June so the body of work that we had to attack uh, in that expansion season was uh, uh, enormous and I think uh, you know, partly because of that. Uh George uh really gave me a lot of responsibility right uh right from day one and uh you know, I think it was about October of that year he uh came to me then and, and uh talked about wanting me to take fifteen teams, he'd take fifteen teams, not in terms of our uh coverage or our scouting, but just in terms of uh uh, leading the discussions with the general managers of those teams. So, uh, you know, because of that, I, uh, had, uh, you know, lots of dealings with general managers that, uh, that first year and then everything we've done, uh, you know, from day one has been, uh, very collaborative. George and I work, uh, closely together. So, um, you know, now that I'm the general manager, um, you know, I'm, I guess the direct point of contact with all the teams on trades. I attend the general manager's meetings, uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, we just recently had our uh, pro staff in for meetings. We had our amateur staff in for midterm meetings. My my role in those meetings wouldn't be a lot different this year than what it's always been. Uh, so that's where uh, the organization and uh, George McPhee, Bill Foley, have treated me extremely well.
1: Obviously, there was a lot of coverage with the recent coaching change with the team. That was kind of your first big move as GM. Now, was that something that... Uh, you would still include, of course, like all like George and and the higher-ups in that discussion?
3: Any of the major decisions that we make, whether it's with respect to, you know, roster decisions or uh, trades, you know, a situation like you just described, um, you know, depending, I guess, on the the particular decision to be made, there's a lot of people that are involved and, uh, um, you know, that's where you know, I've said it uh, many times. As as uh, many compliments as we've received for the job we did in selecting that expansion team that uh, had such a successful uh, first season, I've always felt that the best work we did was the people that we hired for our <clears throat> management uh, positions, for our uh, pro scouting staff, our amateur scouting staff. Uh, you know, lots of people with uh, Wheat King ties that uh, you know our listeners would uh, know who they are. Lots of people with WHL ties. Uh, Bobby Lowe's, who of course uh, coached here for nine years, <clears throat> leads our amateur staff. Von Carpen, who uh, played here with the Wheat Kings, played at the uh, University of Manitoba. Uh, he's our director, of player personnel, and leads our pro staff. You know, Bruno Campesi, who worked in our league for uh, many years, uh, scouts amateurs for us. Uh, in the Western Hockey League. Kelly Kissio, who uh, did such a great job with the Calgary Hitmen for uh, so many years. He's a member of, uh, of our pro staff. So uh, lots of familiar uh, ties uh, from the West for uh, a lot of those people. And again, to, to answer your question, when we uh, are in a room, we uh, we hear from everybody. And uh, I think we've created a, an environment where people are Uh, really comfortable to share their thoughts. It's uh, important, to be honest, that we uh, don't all see it the same way. It's uh, amazing the number of times we uh, arrive at a decision that maybe was uh, uh, different than any, any one of us individually might have had, and you're not even sure whose idea it was that got you there. You just feel real comfortable about uh, the process the process that goes on and uh, the decisions that you come to. well, there's
1: there, there's certainly no lack of Vegas Golden Knight uh, apparel around Westman, that's for sure with all those brandon connections. Um, with the recent success of the team, I gotta like how many games do you actually get to watch the week Kings now?
3: Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think it's changed really. Uh, uh, you know I guess this is uh, you know this is my fourth year working for Vegas. This is my uh, third year. Uh, of us having a team uh, in Vegas, so the first year, uh, I based out of Brandon, and uh, you know, got as many weekend games as uh, as time would allow. Um, you know, I get home every month, and uh, you know, real excited to see the team here uh, a couple of times uh, while I'm home. Uh, really encouraged with how they're playing, the progress they're making, the development that I'm seeing in uh, in the young players. It's exactly how. We want our team to look so I'm really uh, pleased with the job that uh, Dave, Don, and Mark uh, and Tyler have done uh, as coaches, and the job that Darren uh, has done uh, managing our team. So we're in real good hands, and uh, you know I'm always uh, uh, proud watching uh, the Wheat Kings play. That'll uh, that'll never change. So um, you know monthly I guess would be uh, kind of the short answer, but then of course uh, online uh listening to the talented Brandon Crowe and his wingman uh, Pete Gerlinger I uh, I see as many as I can.
0: Well, Pete's back this weekend and uh, he, joked, he joked that, uh, <laughs> I, I joked with him that, that the last against. time he was in a hockey rink, he got introduced on a red carpet in Drumheller being honored with that team. So I said, I'll make sure I vacuum off the red carpet because that's the only way he's coming into the rink <laughs> this we? weekend. Uh, you touched on the Brandon connections. I want to go back to that for a second. I think there's eight or, or nine connections somehow tied, whether it be a scout, a former player, current player in Ryan Reeves, Mark Stone, even the TV guy in Darren Millard. We're, you know when it comes to non-hockey hires for example like Darren Millard and even the the local Manitoba Connections and Gary Lawless, Shane Knighty from Nipah, how much of your relationship with them in the past kind of helped them out and maybe you kind of gave them a, a bit of a a vouch when it came to getting them involved with the organization?
3: Well we've been involved in all of those uh hires George and I have with uh you know again going right back to uh to that first year or so um Shane Knighty's is a tremendously talented uh, uh, broadcaster. He's really good. Jet fans would remember uh, his work with Dennis Bayak, but then uh, just a great person uh, as well. Gary Lawless has uh, become a great friend for me, and, of course, uh, he's very uh, well-known to Manitobans. Uh, Darren Millard is is an absolute star. He's uh, so talented and just can do anything... uh, uh, that's asked of them so uh, yeah definitely uh, um, I would weigh in on uh, on those uh, decisions but it's uh, not to say there's not a lot of good people working in our organization that I hadn't known previously and uh, uh, you know interesting George and I never knew each other uh, really? previously so that's pretty uncommon in the hockey business that uh, uh, you know two people with zero affiliation in the past uh, hook up to lead uh, to lead a team but you know we uh, uh, we put a, a lot of. Uh, uh, it's a real priority for us to get good people, and uh, you know, from day one, we've tried to hire uh, low-ego, hardworking people, and that's uh, that's really what the organization is built on. And obviously, my familiarity is on the hockey side, but when I uh, look at the business side of our operation, uh, they're in great hands under Kerry Buble's leadership, who's the president uh, on the business side, and uh, you know, as good a job as we feel we do on hockey operations are every bit as strong on the business side
1: going back into the summer when you had to make all the decisions with the new coaching staff uh how are going to move forward was your past relationship with dave lowry uh was that one of the deciding factors like you knew right away that if you can get dave you wanted him or did you have a small list of contenders how did that come up
3: um didn't uh um, entertain uh, a lot of uh I didn't interview another person. Uh Donnie McGillery was uh you know a really strong candidate, uh we felt. Um you know, Dave Lowry, uh it wasn't just that I've had a relationship with Dave, I've coached with Dave. So we uh were involved in the world junior team in uh two thousand sixteen and uh you know there's a process that's uh effectively a year long that you work with someone I know uh, even the year before, when I wasn't involved, they did the the uh, Russia WHL games were uh, in Brandon and Saskatoon, and I was uh, uh, an assistant for those two games on Dave's staff. So, I um, just think he's a really good coach. He uh, um, connects well with players. I think he's a great leader. I think he uh, instills confidence in people, uh, and you can see that when you watch uh, watch our team play. So, um, you know, in that uh, situation, it was a matter more of letting things play out as to whether uh, he'd be available uh, to coach in junior hockey. So that's uh, how that process uh, went. And, uh, you know, again, we were really happy to uh, continue to have Don McGillery involved because of the respect we have for uh, him as a person and his work as a coach, and then uh really we're excited to add a young voice in uh in Mark Derlego, so that was uh really good for us too. It's not uh, uh not that much unlike uh how Darren Ritchie uh, joined the organization when he finished his career playing uh, in Europe and and uh you know Mark uh, I think is uh uh insightful guy that uh you know I think you know for uh for forwards no different than Darren when he came in as an assistant coach initially. Those were uh, Mark and Darren were two uh, great week King forwards that uh, knew everything about scoring goals and uh, became really responsible uh, two-way players as well. So uh, that's uh, uh, you know something that Mark can speak to our group about and have, uh, I think, a lot of credibility uh, from our players based on his experiences.
0: The way that I have seen Mark come along, right from, I want to say kind of the first time I met him was at Weeking Hockey School back in the summer when the announcement had kind of just been made. The progress he's made from an outsider standpoint to where he is now and the relationship he has with the players and the way he talks to them and the way he handles himself on the ice, to me, it's, it's unbelievable the progression uh, he's made. It's fun to be around a, a guy like Mark, and especially Dave and Donnie as well. So uh, I want to touch on some of the players on the ice. So obviously, Yuri Pateras on a great run right now. He's a draft pick of the Vegas Golden Knights and a guy like Marcus Kelly and Kelly, who had to rehab with your staff for a long stretch before he could get healthy and come back and play. He's gotten into just over a dozen games now with Brandon. Between you know, goaltending uh, coach slash consultant Mike Rosati and your other scouts that have watched these guys, what have you liked from the progression of both Yuri and Marcus uh, here this season?
3: Well, Yuri's in his second year, of course, uh, with the Wheat Kings, and I thought that uh, uh, last year Yuri had a really good year, a really good start. I thought he uh, had a tougher time uh, kind of leading into December. Didn't think the World Junior was a great experience for Yuri, and that he. Went as the third guy, and uh, you never really got an opportunity. And then a season for me last year, just kind of going by memory, sort of seemed to turn around when uh, his mother, uh, his family came to town. Which I guess for uh, you know we we overlook uh, uh, these import players, you know, being that far away from home at the age uh, that they are. But that really seemed uh, to get Yuri going. Yuri was good at development camp in Las Vegas. We expected that he would have a great year. Uh, with the Wheat kings as a 20 year old and <clears throat> really uh just never got going uh to start the year he had a a little issue with his ankle that uh they identified in uh Las Vegas in uh in June didn't feel that it would need uh surgery turned out as time went on it did need surgery you know happened at the busiest time of our uh of our season and uh you know he missed a lot of games uh you know had that healed came back uh, you know, really needed practice time, uh, became very ill, missed, uh, missed a bunch of time, and it just all sort of, you know, then Mike Rosati came in, I think, probably at a real good time to work with Yuri. He was here, uh, uh, I think 10 days, and then, uh, uh, since Christmas, he's been, uh, he's been tremendous. Uh, you know, should give a lot of credit to Ethan Kruger, who, uh, who stepped in, uh, when Yuri was hurt, and, uh, you know it's amazing uh how many times you find a hockey player because somebody else got hurt and uh it just uh, uh that's always been the case uh you know through my time here in Brandon I see it uh, all the time in the National Hockey League and again uh with Ethan now I think it's a great uh, uh for his confidence to know he's a real good goalie it's great for our team's confidence in him and it's a real good sign uh for the future <coughs> for our team at that uh, position. So that's, uh, that's been years year for me. Again, I, I as I mentioned earlier, I watch, uh, a lot of the games and, uh, uh, I really like how he's, uh, I really like how he's playing. You guys would know from working with him day to day, he's a great person and, uh, uh, really, uh, really likes playing, uh, in Brandon. In the case of, uh, Marcus Kelly on Kelly, um, <clears throat> he had a real unique, uh, injury that took a long time to, uh, to really uh, sort out, he saw a number of specialists. This is an injury that goes back to uh you know February or March of last year uh, at our development camp. Um, he wasn't able to finish, which was when we started the process of trying to find out what was wrong and uh, I wouldn't do it justice to try to explain it but uh eventually he he uh, saw a, a very highly specialized uh, surgeon in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, had his surgery then went through the rehab process uh, in its entirety uh, in Las Vegas with uh, with our medical team and then uh, just got playing before <clears throat> before Christmas. Uh, I I I look for a lot of improvement in his game over the second half or the final 24 25 games uh, of the season here I think we'll see him uh, continue to improve as he adjusts to the you know, to the new league, new teammates uh, and all of the things that go with us. But, you know, again, gives us, uh, you know, he's got a great shot uh, that we'd like him to see him use a little bit more. He's got size, he's got uh, physical presence, some of those things our team uh, really needed and uh, I think will be a, an important player here uh, down the stretch.
1: A couple of weeks ago, we had Darren Ritchie on the podcast talking about trade deadline, right? His first time going through it as GM. Uh, he kind of, you know, put you in a bit of a, a, bit of a pedestal talking about doing the, 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 the Kelly McCrimmon way of doing things um, that, you know, he learned from you. But is that, when that time comes around, is that something that you still have your finger involved because you want to, or is it more the guys reaching out to you for your opinion?
3: Well, I'll, I'll help our guys any way I can. Uh, you know, it's amazing how quickly you don't know the players well enough anymore to say, geez, you need to do this or you need to do that. So uh, what I do know is, uh, you know, how a manager feels at that time of year. What I do know uh, is our Wheat King team, uh, because I watch uh, so many games. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, anything kind of relating to uh, to that, uh, I, I can uh, sure weigh in on. I think that, uh, you know, we have pretty regular communication through that time of year. Um, that uh, That's uh, part of it, but, uh, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, the NHL trade deadline, I think, is just under five weeks away, and, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's the National Hockey League, if it's the Western Hockey League there's a process where you need to do your work. So you need to know uh, the other teams, you need to know your own teams, you need to be aware of what uh, the possibilities might be, you need to know at what cost and you never um, or often you're not sure that uh, a deal will happen and I use the example of uh, our team in Vegas last year at you know three hours before the trade deadline we were Uh, on our way to uh, making no moves. And, uh, you know, had that been the case, uh, you know, there's some people will kind of say, well, geez, what were they doing? Uh, Like, why wouldn't uh, something have happened if they were doing this work they said they were doing? And then as it turned out, you know, three hours later, we'd made likely the biggest trade that the franchise uh, will ever make in acquiring Mark Stone and, uh, uh, you know, coming real close uh, with respect to what a contract would look like and that type of thing. Um, uh to acquire them so uh that's how it is and i i think uh i actually talked with uh, as i mentioned to you, I flew home with uh travis sandheim and Ryan Polock, and we talked about it a little bit uh yesterday i think some of the moves that uh the team has made this year um you know just made us better i think we needed to get a little bit bigger we needed to get a little bit older um you know, Dom Schmieman, We didn't have uh, a guy that does that, uh, does that work, fills that role. That's an important acquisition. Duncan Pierce, I think, has played uh, excellent. Uh, you know, has been a real uh, asset uh, to our team. And then our most recent uh, acquisition at the deadline, I think, uh, again gives us uh, you know another big strong guy. We've got. Uh, you know, we're still a young team, and uh, I just think that those type of moves are. Uh, are important and uh, uh have made our team better. So it's not always the the blockbuster that uh um you know gets it done. Sometimes those subtle moves. I look at uh, you know the Washington Capitals the year they won the Stanley Cup were in a real salary cap bind. They really needed a uh, needed a defenseman. They traded for Michael Kempney from Chicago which was as under a radar move as a team could make. I think they gave up a third round pick. The guy played in their top four uh, every day since he's been there, continues to do that, and they won the Stanley Cup. So, you know, those types of moves I think are, uh, (coughs) uh, you know, often overlooked. Um, You know, I look in uh, Vegas, our acquisition of Chandler Stevenson, uh, who (coughs) fans and Brandon would remember from his time with the Regina Pats. He's been a. Uh, A real good addition. He's a a really good player, and uh, the change has given him a little more opportunity. We thought with more opportunity there might be a little bit more there. There has been. So that's where, uh, again, you need to know your own team. You need to know uh, the other, You have to know the players. Like I just always have felt if you're going to make good trades, you have to know the players.
0: I look back, you know, when I was kind of watching the team, the trade that always I always think about with you, Kelly, is the Matt Lowry trade for Medicine Hat. Willie was just trying to keep him in the league, and he didn't have a whole lot of points in his rookie season. He comes here and he puts up 60 and 75 points. He just kind of came out of nowhere. But that was a very small trade at the time, and he turned into a, a great player with the Brandon Wheat Kings that to me it, you know is one of those trades that at the time people are going oh well we got a you know we got a local guy bring him home we'll give him a shot and all of a sudden he turns into a star what do you remember about that deal <laughs> got a big smile. Well on his face. it's it's a, it's a really
3: funny story uh I I got so much respect for Willie he's a great friend he's an incredible coach and uh <clears throat> for me uh you know Willie's always been the manager but he's 90% coach 10% manager so uh with that deal if you go back uh, a year before um, I basically uh, the day of the 20 year old cutdown, we had Matt McHugh who was right. arguably the toughest guy in the WHL he was a real good kid to be around we really liked having him here we didn't have room for him and I uh, was trying to get a hold of Willie in the morning couldn't find him I finally caught up with him and I basically talked him in to taking Matt McHugh who went there and played great so he played really well the next year, uh, he's got a situation where they'd recruited some players and they just were were out of spots. So he really liked Matt Lowry as anybody that would be around him uh, would. So he was trying to do right for Matt. Uh, knew that Brandon would be a place likely that Matt would want to be. Uh, wasn't trying to get rich on the deal. He just really was trying to get uh, Matt placed. So I was talking to Willie and uh, we were going through it. And uh, he says to me, uh, just like this, he said, uh, "Yeah, I'd probably want a fifth or a sixth round pick." And then he paused, and then he said, "You're going to offer me the sixth now, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> so we we've laughed about that different times over the years. So as good as that trade uh, was for uh, the Wheat Kings, I always counter with uh, with Willie that he got Matt McHugh. I don't remember what we got for him. Uh, likely right around the same type of thing. So. Uh, it was just kind of a funny story that, uh, that you bring up based on how it all played out.
1: You've been a part of a lot of big trades over the years. Is there one that sticks out that you're like, wow, that's that was the blockbuster?
3: Well, we've made a lot of really big trades uh, over time. Uh, I always go back to the most important trade we ever made was uh, uh, you know in the early years when we traded Trevor Kidd uh, to Spokane because we uh, got Marty Murray uh, back in that trade. And uh, you know that was... Uh, that was when it turned. And and uh you know, Marty was uh you know, an incredible player, you know, played in two world juniors, but just a class act, uh great values, great captain, uh, you know, just set the bar for your team in terms of what uh what you uh, what your culture was gonna be, what your identity was gonna be <clears throat> and uh and he was uh, a part of that deal. He wasn't in the entire deal, there was there was quite a bit more to it, but uh you know, acquiring Marty I thought was uh just a huge trade. You know, Mike Leclerc the year we uh the year we uh uh went to the Memorial Cup, I believe, in Guelph. Uh actually I think Mike went to two Memorial Cups. Mike Leclerc was a great uh player for us. You know, there's been a lot of guys. We've we've acquired a lot of really good players uh over the years and uh uh <clears throat> you know it's uh you know I I you know I always believed your culture, your foundation uh, your core pieces—you had uh, to draft and develop those guys, and then if your team was holding up their end of the bargain and showing you that they were uh, focused on winning, and if you could help them, then with a trade, uh, that's when we would look to to try to make a trade. So that's usually how uh, most of those came together. Um, you know, we had uh, pretty good luck trading for guys that uh, needed a second chance or needed a change. And I look at uh, a guy like Dorian Anik, who uh, we uh, acquired from. Uh, Tri-Cities was from Winnipeg. We knew him real well from uh, minor hockey. And, uh, you know, the change was, uh, you know, the best thing that ever happened to him. He came in and was a uh, a really good player <clears throat> for our team. Stephen Later, uh, you know, had a year and a half here where he was great. He played really, really well. And he, again, I think might have been on his fourth team by the time that he got to us. But if, you're, if, you're, if your dressing room is strong enough and your <clears throat> culture is uh, good enough, you can bring people in that conform, That's uh, you know you, you are what you see around you and that's where it was always so important to make sure you had good people in that locker room.
0: I've got a, a, a good friend working over in Europe right now and I mentioned this and I, I think I tweeted it out that she was wearing a Wee King sweater I'd got her last Christmas and uh, a couple people stopped her and they didn't even speak English but they said go Wheat Kings in English uh, she didn't know what language they were but now that you're traveling around and with all the players that you've had an impact on and all the cities you go to how often are you running into people that A. know who you are B. talk about the Wheat Kings or C. want to talk about uh, you know Brandon and, and the Western Hockey League
3: Well I was at uh, Montreal on uh, Saturday night and saw a guy wearing a jace howerlick Wheat King jersey
0: in montreal <clears throat>
3: in montreal on saturday night and uh, uh like i wanted to track the guy down and take his picture but uh, of course uh i didn't but uh, no the, the wheat kings the, the wheat kings are a great brand uh i think uh you know extremely well known uh, across uh, the country i was in uh Hamilton last uh, Thursday at the CHL Prospects game where you just run into so many people that, uh, of course, you've crossed paths with uh, uh, over the years. And, uh, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a really strong brand. And I think that, uh, you know, our Mayor Rick Crest will uh, often say that uh, when he travels and people say, where are you from? He says, I'm from Brown, Manitoba. And they go, oh, the Wheat Kings. You know, it's just uh, synonymous with Uh, with our city so uh, I get that quite a bit I enjoy that Uh, I'm really fortunate that uh, we've got so many graduates in the NHL that I get to see those guys and uh, you know say hi after games or um, you know just uh, like I did here with uh, with Ryan uh, yesterday uh, you know we had Philadelphia and I had a real good visit with uh, Ivan Provorov after the game you've got Matty Calvert I always try to make sure say hello to him Travis Amonic, you know Braden Shen uh, <clears throat> you know I always make sure uh, to see him when we're uh, playing there so there's all kinds of guys that uh, you know have uh, moved on from this organization and you're obviously uh, uh, proud of those guys it's it's uh, neat to watch them uh, play and uh, uh, have a chance to say hello to those guys
1: now, there's nobody's name who's more synonymous with the Wheat Kings than you, not just from the owner and what we talk about, the hockey ops, but going back to you as a player, even back in the 70s, what was your first recollection of the Wheat Kings?
3: Well, I had played uh, in Prince Albert when I was, I guess, 16 and 17. So at that time, uh, PA were not in the Western League. They were Junior A hockey. And uh, of course, Brad had been here, uh, my brother had been here for two years, so... I knew everything about the Wheat Kings because of that, and uh, uh, they were so good. Did you uh, have to come
1: in and watch those games?
3: No, no. I'd, I'd, not, I'd never crossed the Manitoba border till I came to training okay. camp yeah. uh, really? as an 18-year-old player. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, um, and I, I saw Brandon play. You know, and again, I was playing junior hockey, so it's not like you can... Uh, uh, can do that. I saw Brandon play uh, in Saskatoon one time. I remember. Uh, I remember that. I don't know that I would have seen Brad play another game in those first two years. And then, uh, uh, you know, the, the 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 team when I came into was the '78-'79 team that uh, I think goes down as one of the best ever. And we did go to the Memorial Cup. However. The year before, and the year before that, so Brad's first two years in uh, Brandon, those teams were incredible. Uh, you know, with Builder Lego, and of course, a lot of the same people that were on the team that final year, but uh, they were a tremendous team. So, uh, you know, what I knew was how good they were. What I knew was how much uh, respect and uh, uh, that Dunk McCallum had uh, as a coach. He was larger than life for uh, for all of us, for uh, for everybody. And I know. Uh, you know, Brad and Dunk had a great relationship, and, uh, you know, he would have been uh, Brad McCrimmon's hero uh, just based on, uh, you know, he's a former NHL defenseman. He was, you know, a big tough guy. He was a heck of a coach and uh, and all of those things. So I, you know, came to camp here when I was 18, and, uh, you know, like a lot of young guys going to camp, you're always uh, thinking that you're not going to make the team. Somebody else is better. And I, uh, I remember they would post the, uh, uh uh, the lineups, um, for the next camp sessions or whatever. And I remember, uh, standing at the glass, looking at, uh, uh, looking at the right wingers. And, uh, this would have been, you know, sort of towards the end of camp. And, uh, Dunk, uh, came up behind me and he, uh, he just pointed at my name. He said, don't worry. So he'd obviously, you know, made his uh, decision that I was going to be good enough to stay, which again, I didn't know that. And, uh, you know so that team was so good I mean we had a I think a 29 game streak where we hadn't lost a game I mean it was it was just incredible and of course if if you are winning that long it's not that you're playing great all of those nights and yet with Brian Propp and Ray Allison and Lori Boshman and Brad I mean you could be uh, down by three goals in the third period and still know you were going to find a way uh, to come back uh, and win and that's uh, what that team did and then you know, the the playoffs that year with uh, uh, I, I tell these stories and and uh, I, I always love seeing guys that uh, used to play here because their stories just get bigger and better as they <laughs> continue to tell them right and I try not to do that and I and I and I tell this story because it's exactly what happened so in the in that uh, in that time uh, there were three divisions the east the central and the West and like only the WHL could do you um, each division played to have a winner, so we won the East Division, Lethbridge won the Central Division, Portland won the West Division, and then we played a four-game round-robin. So we played a game in Portland, a game in Lethbridge, oh, and man. then two, and then played each of those teams in Brandon <laughs> to figure out who would then play in the final. So that's, uh, if you can imagine, that's how we uh, advanced to the final between ourselves, Portland, and Lethbridge. Lethbridge were... Uh, eliminated. So then we played Portland again, the furthest team we could possibly play. We <laughs> played Portland in the in the league final, and uh, we we won uh, game six uh, in Portland. Donnie Gillen scored uh, the overtime uh, winner for us uh, uh, to be the league champions, and then go to the Memorial Cup uh, in Quebec.
0: Certainly, uh, and you've never really left back then. September of what was that? Seventy-eight. You rolled in as an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, seventy-nine. Yeah, September seventy-eight. And he's been in the rank ever since. And we we're
1: talking about that actually the last week, uh, just in terms of the historical ranks. That's still the WHL record for the most uh, wins to start a season. Well, and then right over
0: two years there was forty-three wins without a loss. Now I know there were probably ties mixed in there too, but over the course of two seasons from December to September of the following year, there was only like forty-three games without a loss. Well, That'll the, never be, broken. The,
3: the, the t- team was so good and of course we had 125 points which is the record that still stands yeah. so um you know a couple of years ago was it last year pa actually with the start they had you can start to even wonder and and they, they, they fell off a little bit they still had a fantastic season but i don't think 125 will uh, uh likely ever be beaten and of course if you guys have been in our dressing room the the exact uh brick in the wall where uh brian prop wrote 125 points try to beat that uh you know remains to this day as many times as that uh room has been painted redone and uh everything else that uh brick still stands the test of time and in fact it's uh, it's interesting just over the years different guys that come in for the first time you'll think oh we had a player that had our 125 points well of course we would never put an individual <laughs> guys uh Accomplishments on a on a standalone brick in the wall. It was a team. Uh, it was a team accomplishment and. And in fact, as we're talking about that year, uh, Brian Propp had uh, 94 goals and 100 assists, so that's a pretty good year of hockey. Wow,
0: that is something. Well, we'll wrap this up. Uh, we know you got a bunch of stuff to do, I imagine, this week as uh, Brian gets set for a couple of games and you uh, enjoy a bit of a break here from the NHL hustle and bustle. Uh, appreciate you doing this kind of at a last-second thing. Uh, apologize to Connor Gutenberg. We put him on the back burner. We'll get him on next week. Uh, the captain uh, talking about his experiences as well, but uh, for all these guys we talked to, we hope that uh, you know it's just the start of you know the storytelling and experiences you had in Brandon, and hope that uh, all these guys can continue to tell the same type of fishing stories that you guys had back in the day uh, with all their experiences here in Brandon.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate this, Crim. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for, for
3: uh, thanks for having me. Apologies, apologies to Goody. He's the last guy here that I coached. Uh, was on, the course of course, the championship team. He's, actually, uh, yeah, I got 15, I got 16. some more
1: questions. So, I mean, you you won the league as a player. You you wanted uh, back in '96, you know, hockey ops, and then as the coach. Is, is is there one that was more special or is just the, just the fact that you won three different ways is just something cool?
3: Um, I wrote the introduction to our uh, Weed King history book that we did recently, and it kind <clears> of <throat> makes you think about those kind of things. You know, any, any of the seasons where uh, we got to the Memorial Cup, I think uh, just using the recency bias, that uh, last one, <clears throat> you know, winning uh, in Seattle was uh, real special. But, you know, I might... Uh, I might uh, go right with the, the first time, because when I got here, you know, the team had been so great through the 70s. We're sitting here reminiscing about those teams. The 80s were really difficult for uh, the Wheat Kings. When I got here uh, in 89, it was just so hard to get the team turned around because the team had struggled for as long uh, as it has. So my first uh, three years uh, with the Wheat Kings, we, uh, my first year we, we tied for the final playoff spot. Uh, my second year uh we tore the heart out of the beast and traded away everybody we could trade away that had value and I thought we were ready to turn the corner and my third year we won eleven games so that 's how hard it was to get uh, to get uh, turned around and then um you know the brought in Bobby Lowe's as our coach and just really started to get, uh, to get this thing, uh, going. And that first trip when we went to the Memorial cup in, uh, Kamloops in 94, 95 would have been, <clears throat> you know, the, the culmination of kind of five or six years work, you know, so maybe that one would be, uh, one, it was my first one, I guess, as a, as a manager, uh, right. uh as well. So that made it uh real special. And then just, uh, you know, just my relationship with Bob Cornell over all of those years as well was, uh, really special. He was, you know, part of those teams I'm talking about where we uh, there probably wasn't many people in Brandon that thought I knew what I was doing except Bob <laughs> Cornell so it was uh, great to have uh, his support and friendship through that period of time.
1: And actually that whole story about Bob saving the team and then you getting it, oh, that's, probably, that's, that's, that's probably a podcast in and of itself but that's an incredible story as well No, he's a
3: good man
0: well, Kelly, uh, well, we appreciate this very much, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, we wish you the best of luck in Vegas the rest of the year, a playoff spot and a, and a long playoff run. I know that uh, you've taken a, a lifelong Winnipeg Jets fan and slowly flipped me into a <laughs> Vegas fan, and I'm not probably not the only one in this city. So uh, best of luck the rest of the way, and thanks for doing this. Thanks, folks. Thanks for having me. Once again, I
1: want to say thanks to Kelly McCroen for joining us there. Uh, like we said, Crow, hopefully later on this season we can have some more time to pr- properly prepare and get some, get some more in-depth questions, but uh, it was a lot of fun talking to Kelly.
0: Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people forget. You know, when you know, I look around the trade deadline. A lot of people are saying, "Well, where's Kelly? Why is he not involved in the in the trade deadline?" Because we've always expected big things from him when he was in charge of the Wheat Kings. Think for a moment: what's on his daily to-do list? I mean, you're running a National Hockey League team, and then your hobby, you want to call it, or your backup plan and other things to worry about, all other duties as assigned, is running a junior hockey team as well. I mean, this guy is arguably one of the busiest guys in hockey. I can't imagine how many air miles he's racked up here over the last uh, three, four years, coming back and forth to Vegas, to Brandon, all over North America, over to Europe, to scout, everything else. To grab him for 40 minutes is almost uh, impossible, uh, but he was real great about it. And uh, I I hope the fans enjoy it. I mean, what you and I do here is, is entirely for the fan base. We, We try to be a voice and ask questions and, and, Bring on guests that uh, these fans are going to enjoy. And I I think, to me, of all of our half-dozen episodes, this is probably the one fans are probably going to be the most excited about.
1: And so speaking of fans, we'd love to get the feedback, and we would encourage you. You can email us. It's qweeklyharvest at gmail.com. That's the letter Q, just like Q country. So qweeklyharvest at gmail.com. We would love to get your feedback. Uh, we actually have gotten our first few emails, which is really nice to hear. And the one you were talking about last week was a suggestion that we feature a upcoming prospect. And uh, while well, we thought, uh, why don't we feature uh, the, the, the top pick the team made uh, this past year, that's Nate Danielson, who this year so far playing for the Northern Alberta, team extreme talk about racking up the points in 16 games played he has 34 points now with that there's 15 goals and 19 assists Uh, he's having a fantastic year and of course it's not the only team he got to to, to play on recently
0: Yeah, the uh, fifth overall pick this past year uh, jumped on jumped aboard team canada uh, as part of the youth olympic games in lausanne switzerland Uh, that was the the team that connor geeky was supposed to play for uh but ended up getting mono and couldn't uh, compete in the tournament uh, Matthew Savoy the Winnipeg Ice prospect he was a part of that team as well uh but Canada winning a bronze medal at the Youth Olympic Games he goes over there plays in four round robin games scores twice and adds an assist he helped beat the Americans with his goal uh in that game and uh, just what a what a season for him and it creates uh, quite the logjam of prospects next week we're going to talk about uh, Tyson Zimmer and you know you look you got Rylan Rosmo and Harris so you got just Guys coming up the pipeline, Brett Highland, Logan Hammett, um, you know all these guys coming up. There's not going to be room for uh, any of these guys, but for Nate Danielson, 34 points. How about that? He's 15 years old. He's six foot one, six foot, six foot one, whatever you want to go by, and he's 170 pounds already. So, I mean, at 15 years old, to have that size, I don't think he's done growing yet. He's going to be a real good uh, Brandon King in the future, and uh, looking forward to, to getting him into the black and gold. But what a season for him!
1: I uh, no, a big, big right shot forward. Uh, just, just getting bigger, and you're right, just absolutely racking up the points. Uh, so coming up next after you guys get back from the road trip, there are a couple of uh, big weekend games. Now, unlike January, where there was seven home games, there's only four in February, but all of them are are really big in terms of the promotion schedule. So when the team gets back Friday, February the seventh, that is the Remax and WHL suits up for organ donation game. The team wearing the special Hockey Night Canada jerseys, those will be auctioned off at the game, uh, all for the Kidney Foundation of, uh, of Canada. Plus, we've got the special Ron and Don Hockey Night in Canada bobbleheads. So the first 3,000 fans will have a chance to win one of 1,000 bobbleheads that night. Then the next week on the 14th, that's a Guild Insurance and HMS Insurance player card giveaway night. So uh, that's always oh, big for the kids, that. always big for the autograph alley afterwards. You know, Everybody wants to get, the, get their set to complete. So the hockey card giveaways that night. Then the next week on the 21st, that is Winnipeg Blue Bomber Night. We have a couple of bombers coming back again this season. Plus, because they're the Grey Cup champions, we've actually got the Grey Cup. It's going to be here. So it's going to be a very cool night in the 21st, but uh, three big games. And then the 22nd, as the Saturday game, another King Kids Saturday, and that's going to be Paw Patrol night for the families who... Uh, just like my little guy, Briar loves Paw Patrol. I can't get it off the TV some days. Uh, we're going to have four members of the Paw Patrol there that night. We got Paw Patrol, Bouncy House. It's going to be a lot of fun for the whole family. And that's the night with the, game. the $5 kids tickets, the $5 kids concession specials, uh, the free Happy Meal voucher when you get it at the box office, all that good stuff. So four massive games coming up in February for the fans, and all of them, different reasons to come on out.
0: And it's been one of those things where I know that, the, you know, personally for me, I, I've sometimes questioned and I put it out on my Twitter as well, is where are the King fans right now? Because the team is playing so well. You know, I understand, you know, fans maybe not coming to the rink if, you know, the team had been struggling, but this team is playing some real good hockey right now. And I, I mean, I know that there's plenty going on in, you know, multicultural fest and everybody's got kids playing sports and everything else. But if you get an opportunity and you're debating, ah, should I go to the rink and watch the Weekings play, or is it going to be worth it? It's it's worth it right now. I mean, this team is playing some of the best hockey they've played in my four years as the radio broadcaster. Um, you know, they've, they've had a ton of home games in January, and, you know, here on out, it's a pretty road-heavy schedule, so the home games are limited. Uh, this team needs your help getting into, you know, a home playoff spot uh, in the first two spots in that division where they can have some home playoff games. And, uh you know this place has been known for years as being a very difficult place to play the playoffs is so much fun and in, in the the year prior to the championship season uh you know I had a chance to come back from my job uh you know out in Saskatchewan and take and take in a couple of playoff games and I just couldn't believe it I couldn't possibly recall it being that crazy in there the buildings packed It warm up it's loud people wearing jerseys face paint it's awesome and I'm really looking forward to that and as we push down the stretch here I, I really you know, personally putting the call out to Weeking fans, if you've been debating it, you you got to come. That's it, the end of it. Uh, there's no debate. You can't say, well, the team's not playing well. This is a fun team to watch, and if you've got an opportunity, you're missing out by not coming to the rink and really looking forward to, to seeing this building full as we push towards the playoffs.
1: Well, and earlier you were talking about how kind of the, the first bit of the season where there wasn't, you know, a lot of winning streaks being put together or any for that matter, and, you know, kind of is this just a recent hot streak or is this a different team? I think, one, this is a different team because Dave Lowry now has his systems in place and the players know what kind of hockey that they're, 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 they're he expects. But two, the moves that Darren Ritchie has made, the players that he's brought in, Dom Schmiemann, Duncan Pierce, now Reed Purpleuck, these are guys that have changed not just a little bit of the culture in the dressing room, but... On the ice, they bring that physical presence that we just simply didn't have before. So now, you know, all of a sudden you're creating room for those guys to step up. Um, I think that these moves are one of the big reasons why they've been playing so hot lately.
0: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I, you know, a lot of people said, oh, Reed Purplek, he's a guy doesn't have a whole lot of numbers, played junior B a couple of years ago. What's he going to bring to the table? Well, he scored the other night against Lethbridge. And for me, the best way to describe it is that, you know, I've got a microphone that hangs down from my booth that kind of picks up what the crowd is talking about or, or their mood kind of thing, especially I think that'd be about section six right below the press box. But every time he's on the ice, I can hear the audible change in the crowd underneath the yeah. press box because the way he swoops around the ice, you know there's probably going to be a big hit or a big collision. Uh, he's fast. He's relentless. He's had a real good showing here in his first couple games as a week. King. The fans like it every time he finishes his check. They're up out of their seat and they're, they're cheering him on. Uh, even that line, Secundiac, Pierce, Thorpe, the way they've killed penalties, the way they've finished checks, this is a hard-working team. The switch has, has been flipped on. They're all playing the Dave Lowry way right now, and uh, it, it's an absolute blast coming to the rink every day, and I think right from the coaching staff, radio guy, off-ice staff, right down to the players, everyone's having fun coming to the rink, and uh, there's no better time right now. We're at the end of January. We're turning the corner into February. This is this is a great time of year, and uh, looking forward to, to seeing where this team can end up. And How great would it be to, to force the Keystone staff to get out their big, tall ladder and hang up a red banner if they can keep winning and catch up to those teams? It would just be a, a fantastic finish to the year, and uh, really looking forward to it.
1: Well, still a lot of work to do there. Uh, good luck, safe travels on the road trip. And uh, again, uh, when you guys get back, a couple of big games in February. Hope to see everybody out before. But uh, be looking forward to getting you back here uh, next week there, Brandon.
0: Yeah, we've got uh, as we mentioned four games. Uh, three of the four are seven o'clock uh, Alberta time starts, so that means they're eight o'clock Manitoba time starts. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Saturday is a later start. That's eight thirty Manitoba time for Medicine Hat. So, uh, if you're just wondering if you're wondering where you can catch the game online or on the radio, it'll be eight o'clock starts in Edmonton, Red Deer, in Calgary, eight thirty in Medicine Hat.
1: So, again, if you want to get a hold of us with any questions, comments, you can uh, do so by emailing qweeklyharvest at gmail.com. For Brandon Crow in his hotel room in Red Deer, and myself, Chris Falco, back here in the studios at WCG and Brandon, wish you a great
0: week, and we'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.